Guy here with a quick message before the latest pod here on Blood Red. 2020's been pretty rubbish, but here on Blood Red, we wanted to say thank you to all of our continued and loyal listeners. Part of that has been the creation of our Blood Red census, which you can find in the description of this podcast. All we want to know is what you think of our content and also give you the chance to shape how much and what you get to listen to in future. If you can check it out and fill it in, it won't take longer than two minutes to do. You can even manage it between your Christmas dinner and your pudding. It's in the description, as I say, and that's all. Enjoy the pod. Thanks for your support this year. We're all in it with each other and hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. Big Sam in with the aim of saving the baggies, but will they get their new manager bounce at Anfield? Welcome to Behind Enemy Lines here on the Blood Red channel. I'm Guy Clark. Coming up, we'll get the lowdown on West Brom ahead of their visit to take on the Reds, with Jurgen Klopp side unwilling to spread and share their joy having topped the tree at Christmas. Alongside us to give the insight on West Brom and what led to Slaven Bilic getting sacked, where they're heading and why Big Sam is Joe Chapman, the Birmingham Mail's Albion reporter. Joe, thanks for joining us. How are you keeping? Yeah, very well, Guy. In difficult times, uh, both uh, in a footballing sense and in a, in a human sense. Uh, yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, no, it has been uh, a rough year. And I, I suppose, actually, really, the, the calendar year has probably been quite rough for Albion, to all intents and purposes. Flying high, sort of at the top of the championship when 2020 came in, stumbled over the line to promotion and now in the relegation zone and chopping managers, uh, obviously, with, with Big Sam coming in. Yeah, it's been a it's been a whirlwind, whirlwind 2020, really, for West Bromwich Albion. They've... Perhaps this time last year was when they were at their absolute best under Slavin Bilic and they were really flying high. I think they lost one game in the first 25 matches or something like that in the Championship and it was going swimmingly. Uh, and then the Christmas period came around. They got themselves into a little bit of a muddle. They dropped a couple of points against opposition they ought not to have done. And although they got themselves back on track in February, the lockdown came and invariably uh, kind of threw them off course again. So when the project restart. Uh, took place in the summer. They just weren't the same team and they got themselves over the line. They did enough, but they didn't do it flourishingly the way Leeds did. Uh, and of course, always had Brentford on their tail as well. So that meant that they didn't really have any kind of carryover from the championship as regards to promotion and, you know, any kind of bounce, I suppose, from a side like you've seen with Sheffield United and Leeds themselves to a degree this season have had. And it left them where they were. They've not got a, a huge. Um, investor uh, who owns the club, you know, they haven't got somebody that can throw hundred million pounds at, at, at the, the, the recruitment side of things. So really they were working with what they had. And when you take away what the club had lost in revenue from coronavirus, what they were dishing out to bonuses in bonuses to players that were already at the club. Uh, and of course, you know, you've got the flexi payments involving promotion and relegation, all those things taken into account, they were left with a kind of a pot of 20, 25 million pounds to spend which is not a lot at all. It, you know, barely gets you a player, really, uh, a, a top-level player this, these days. So they were on the back foot, really, before a ball was kicked. And everything that I've seen this season, it, it, it has suggested that. And, and it's not a, it's not a wholly a surprise to me because I knew that before a ball was kicked that they were going to do very, very well to stay in this league. And very sadly, it's cost Billich's job. 
What's the feeling been regarding that with, with Slavin Bilic and, and losing his job? Because obviously he was only there for one full season in the championship. I heard a, a few people sort of saying he's got the job done sort of a year ahead of schedule. He was given two years to get West Brom out of the championship. He got them out after only one year and now he's, he's lasted, what, 13, 14 games? Yeah, I think you've got to go back to the summer of 2019 when he was appointed and the club had just lost to Aston Villa in the playoffs. It was a club that really needed a sense of direction, a sense of guidance at that level of the club. You know, they lost the goals of Dwight Gale and Jerry Rodriguez and of course they had Harvey Barnes in that season as well. So they lost a lot of goals and, um, you know, Craig Dawson left as well. So, you know, they lost just a little bit of experience at the back. So it was a big, big job that he took on. It wasn't a job that, OK, West Brom, you know, if they're not a Premier League team, then they're going to be fighting. You'd think normally for promotion in the Championship, Certainly that's been the case for the last 15, 20 years. But that was a really, really big job. Uh, and financially, again, the money, he, he, they had to be, as a club, not just village, but they had to be very, very prudent in what they did when it came to recruitment. So they were very, very clever. They, you know, they signed players like Darnell Furlong, Shemi Ajayi, who's, who's taken to the um, Premier League pretty well. You know, they had youngsters, Dar Shea, Nathan Ferguson, before he left for Crystal Palace, they had youngsters that he promoted and, and made better footballers. So... Yeah, a big, big impact last season. And of course, yeah, they didn't get over the line the way that I've liked in style, but they did do the job a year, pretty much a year in advance of, of where they were going to be. So it's a shame. Billich only signed a two-year contract when he arrived at the club. And so there was no sign of that being extended, that stay being extended. So really, truthfully speaking, it, it was only kind of five, six months before you'd have left anyway. What's, what's the feeling been amongst the fan base? Not to necessarily Sam Allardyce, we'll get on to him shortly, but with Billich, what was the rapport like with the supporters, with him? And I suppose, are they sad to have seen him go or understanding that maybe he'd sort of reached the end of the line of what he could offer? I think a lot of fans that I've spoken to, certainly uh, in person and uh, via social media, you, the kind of consensus you can gather on there, which is probably a dangerous thing to do at times, uh, is an overwhelming sense of, of disappointment that Village has gone. Uh, and not so much that Allardyce has even been appointed, but more just the loss of Billich really as a as a football club. He was a coup when he came in, I thought, last summer for the club. He's a big, big character, as you can quite imagine. He's, you know, he's really, really a pleasure to speak to every week from this side of the fence. But supporters, he had a lot of goodwill uh, and a lot of um, credit in the bank. So when they did inevitably hit this this bumpy road, uh, bumpy you know um, point in the road, they, he he did have a lot of support still. And of course, there are certain fans that would say, "Well, you know, look at the form. You look at the uh, the performances. In some respects, I think would be would be a little bit of a concern." And so you can see exactly why they've done what they've done. It doesn't make it a lot easier to, to digest, really, because uh, he is, as I say, above all things, he was just a really, really decent bloke and, 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 a, and a good football manager because he, he's he's got the best out of his players. The one thing you could never really say about the Albion squad this season is that they ever really down tools. They've been beaten a couple of times pretty heavily when they've had 10 men and defensively they've capitulated, but uh, they might just not be good enough players, but they've never, ever stopped really trying from. You can see that, um, which is what made... Sunday night's game and, and Sam Allardyce's first game in charge quite alarming really because there was just uh, was probably their worst performance of the season Yeah we'll get on to that just, just shortly but just one last thing sort of on where West Brom do find themselves right now and I, I think for 
sort of football fans, certainly in the, the last 10 years or so, as you said before, you do think of West Brom as a Premier League club since Roy Hodgson was there. And obviously the, the managers that came and went after, the likes of Steve Clark, of course, uh, Tony Pulis was there, Alan Pardew as well, when things were beginning to, to go wrong. How important is it for West Brom to be a Premier League club, I suppose, for the future and the, the viability of the football club? You said before the ownership model, it changed in, in what, 2016? It's slightly different to what it has been in the past. But... It does feel as though this is a decision from the outside looking in, maybe, that's been taken with a bit of haste of doing whatever can be done to ensure that West Brom remain a Premier League team. I think at this point in time, you know, the way that the climate is financially in the footballing world, I think Premier League more than ever is the place you've really got to want to be in uh, if you're a team like West Brom. I think it's a given for, for for certain other teams, but for a team like West Brom, you, I think certainly neutrals would look at Albion the same way they probably look at a Norwich or a Fulham or a Cardiff or a Swansea and Stoke and these teams that have kind of jumped up and down in between the divisions uh, in the last 10, 15 years or so and say, well, okay, they've benefited from the parachute payments. That's one big thing. They've always been, you know, at the forefront of the championship campaign because they've always, you know, reacted well with with the parachute payments they've been given so they've always been kind of given a bit of a head start on teams that that do get stuck down there so they've always managed to come back but as i say i don't think you can ever ever take those promotion seasons for granted i think this is i think that was albin's fourth maybe even fifth promotion season last season in the premier league era so it, it it's it's um it's a good record but you don't want to rely on that every time you go down and of course the most important thing was in, in getting promoted is they have at least got those parachute payments if the worst is to happen and they drop into the championship again. So they'll be on a, you know, a sound footing financially if, um, if they, if they do go down, but of course, you know, you can only really progress as a football club, I think if you're in the premier league. And so financially you want to be in that division and you want to enjoy the cash and that, that, that comes with that on the ownership side of things. I think that again, premier league, you want to be a premier league team because it's clear that the owner is considering outside uh, interest and considering offers. And, and so with that, again, you need to be as an attractive a, a, a proposition as, as you can be. And West Brom need to be a top flight team really to, to um, I suppose, attract a bid that the, the current owner would see as being uh, viable. Yeah, there was little sort of transfer activity done, albeit sort of, there may have been a bit of money change hand, but I suppose a lot of that, and especially the two years West Brom had in the championship, then a number of players in on loans. It was more sort of making those loans permanent, wasn't it? As opposed to going out and, and bringing in Premier League calibre players. It was, I, I think, I could understand the faith that Billich and Albion have showed in those players. I think a lot of them really were pretty straightforward ones. I mean, Kravinovic on, a, on another season on loan was somebody that Billich was adamant had to return. Uh, Albion couldn't really justify on his. He was a good player for Albion last season, but they couldn't justify via his his contribution. Uh, uh, you know, um, a, 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 an eight ten million pound kind of transfer fee that they could fork out on when they had such little resources that they had to spread across the squad. So they managed to get him back on another loan. Pereira was a was a, a an already agreed one when they signed him on loan. If he made a certain amount of appearances, etc., they would sign him for for a total of around 9 million, 9 million quid. So that was a no-brainer anyway, uh, because of the impact he had. Uh, Callum Robinson was on a on a swap deal with uh, Ollie Burke and Sheffield United. Again, no-brainer. Burke was a, a, a real flop at West Brom. Yeah. So 
to get someone like Robinson, who was a pretty useful squad player at the very, very least, uh, was another very decent addition. But the one that will cause debate at this moment in time of those four players that did return from their loan spells was is uh, Grady Diangana, who was wonderful last season. Truly, uh, he had a couple of injury problems, but either side of those, he was a joy to watch. He was one of the few players in the current Albion team that I think that is on par with Pereira and certainly on that that wavelength when it comes to um, actual pl- actually playing and performing. Uh, but Albion spent twelve twelve million pound up front, uh, with 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 likely a, a couple more more million pounds to come um, in the future on on him to get him from West Ham United when they heard that they were going to be selling him. That was a big call uh, because there were a couple of other players that Albion would have liked that were in the pipeline that you know they could have potentially gone after. They were keen on on um, Easy at QPR, who of course has got his Premier League move anyway. So they're still waiting to see, I think, um, in full. I mean, you can't doubt his potential of Dean Garner. He's, a, he's in England under 21 international. He's, he's got a, a big, big future, I'm sure. But it's been a very, very tough learning curve in the Premier League. And I think, generally speaking, we're still waiting to see. Apart from that little flash, we saw a couple of games in at Goodison Park. I, don't, I haven't really seen a hell of a lot of him, you know, from him in terms of what I know he can do. Uh, I know it's a big step up, but he he met a lot of fullbacks in the championship was very very steady last season. So we're just kind of waiting for that that you know that that step up to that progression to uh, arrive in his game. Behind enemy lines on the Blood Red Channel. Let's talk then about a man who's got. I suppose some links you could say to, to Merseyside and Goodison Park in Sam Allardyce and talk about how that came about. West Brom, prior to obviously his appointment, had drawn at Manchester City. It seemed to shock a few people that Billich had gone, but prior to that, it hadn't been a great run and maybe talks going on in the background, given how quickly this deal came about for West Brom. Yeah, it, it, as I said at the start, I think that a lot of sports were very, very disappointed with Billich, disappointed that Billich had gone because there was such goodwill and they would rather have had him in, in in charge knowing what he was, you know, seeing what he was getting out of the players that he had at his disposal and their problem was with more, you know, above Billich and then certainly the ownership, which has been a, a source of frustration for the fan base for a, a little while now. Uh, but the board have had to act because ultimately they've had to look at the, 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 the hard, cold numbers and they've seen that Albion have taken one victory from their first 14 games in the Premier League this season. Um, and, you know, that, that's that's ultimately, that's not going to get you very far. I don't think a team from this current situation has ever stayed up with the amount of points they've got currently. Uh, so that's the size of the task that awaits Sam Allardyce. A lot of people say, well, you know, Allardyce coming in, he's a bit of a firefighter. I think he's made his own peace with that. I, I think once upon a time, certainly before he took the Everton job, he was... Perhaps rightly looking for you know bigger gigs and, and that in Everton he got one, but I think ultimately he knows that at this time of year there will always be a team kind of sending out the SOS. Palace have done it, Blackburn have done it, Sunderland have done it, uh, and he's been able to guide each and every one of them to, to survival. That's exactly what Albion are looking for, and they, you know, the, uh, the sporting director Luke Dowling on the unveiling of Valadice during the last week said as much. We didn't want to wait around any longer because we didn't know whether in a month's time or even a couple of weeks' time, Allardyce is our number one target and he might not have been available. So what you don't want to do is miss out 
on on um, on someone like Allardyce to, to one of your relegation rivals. So I think in terms of style of play, generally it's hard to gauge after the the game against Villa, but he's closer to Roy Hodgson than Tony Pulis, I would suggest in terms of certainly what I've picked up on from speaking to to Fort to journalists and, and to fans of, of his former clubs. So I think that's that's going to uh, kind of come, come in time. Not that they've got a lot of time on their hands, but the other things I think that he has to adjust to pretty quickly he has been out of the game for two and a half years. So, you know, VAR has been a, something he's going to have to kind of deal with on the side. I think West Brom have been pretty outrageously undone by VAR a couple of times this season. And then the coronavirus itself, he spoke about how he was surprised when he took training for the first time last week about how restrictive the protocols are, uh, you know, on a daily basis at places like that in those red zones. So he's going to have to really, he and Sammy Lee, and they've got Robbie Stockdale, from uh, who he worked with at Sunderland, and James Morrison, who's a bit of an Albion legend, has been promoted to the first team coaching staff as well. So they, as a, as a unit, as a think tank, are going to have to, Kind of mastermind some kind of turnaround. They have to start with performances and and uh, you know, defending better because they do concede far too many goals. And then they've got to start worrying about scoring goals. And it all sounds very obvious, but that's the task that's in hand. And when you've only got certain tools at your disposal, well, it won't be without uh, a lot of effort. I was going to say when you when you sort of began there talking about Allardyce, thinking about it, it is a, a road that West Brom have been down before. Of course, 2005 pulled off that miraculous final day survival, having been bottom at Christmas, as you say, not accumulated many points at this stage of the the season thus far, but have sort of had the likes of Roy Hodgson and uh, Tony Pulis there in the past in, in the managerial hot seat. How how is it sitting with the fancy appointment of Allardyce? Uh, I think it's probably for me. It's more similar to the the Hodgson one, uh, not even so much as regards to actually their standing in football and 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 the potential style of play, but more so because Albion, like that year, ten years ago, are an early promoted team. So they were they were three four years into the into their Premier League uh, spell, their most ex- extensive spell last time when Pulis took charge. Uh, when he replaced Alan Irvin, who really should never have been appointed in the first place, and he had uh, an opportunity to, you know, spend a few quid within reason that in that first that first January window when he took over, and he brought in Darren Fletcher, which was a, a huge success. You know, somebody that was a leader in the dressing room. He got the he got the captain's armband immediately when he walked through the door, and he, he really really helped transform Arvin on the pitch with with uh, side of Berahino's goals. So it's a bit different in, in that respect because this team is very, very uh, in, inexperienced. They are really novices. They've given a, at least a dozen players Premier League debuts this season. So that's where they're at, you know, whether those players are lower league players, whether they're from abroad. It's totally new experience to so many of them that, um, it, you know, that this is where this is where they have to overcome. Whereas last time, for example, Pulis inherited Brunt, McCauley, Morrison, uh, you know, Dawson, Foster, and then was able to bring Darren Fletcher in. You know, they, he had a nucleus there already of experience of of big, big characters in the dressing room. So Allardyce is going to have to find that from within. Uh, he's certainly obviously going to be with that Jake Livermore for the foreseeable future. And he was one of the very, very few that does have Premier League experience. 
Yeah, of course, he got sent off in the 3-0 the defeat against Aston Villa at home. I suppose that is only the only thing that you and West Brom fans have to go off with Sam Allardyce thus far. But, of course, mm. the trip to Anfield and then after that, the likes of Leeds, Arsenal and then Wolves coming up in the Premier League after an FA Cup tie with Blackpool. But it doesn't, when you look at the fixture list, it isn't going to get any easier, certainly with a trip to Anfield in the offing. No, it doesn't. I mean, it scarcely gets harder, really. You, uh, the one thing I would say is, which has actually probably been a source of frustration for Albion fans, is that they've played well. They've played better against the better sides this season. Um, I only have to go back a couple of weeks or, or even a week ago to the game at the Etihad where, for all the world, when we turned up at the, at the stadium and you know you, you see the team sheets before the game and you do start count, wondering how many... City are going to score tonight, and they got that first goal. And to be to be to be fair to Albion, they didn't down tools. They didn't uh, kind of their heads didn't drop. And as I said earlier, they kept playing for Billich all the way through right to the end, and they just kept digging in and digging in. They got a goal with a little bit of fortune, but they yeah they relied on their defenders. They relied on Sam Johnston, who was magnificent. But you need a bit of luck when you go to this place anyway, and they certainly need a bit of luck at Anfield to to get any kind of result. The bigger picture, of course, as you say, is that this is a horrible fixture schedule, this 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 festive period for West Brom. We kind of picked it out before the season when the fixtures were released. And you thought, oh, God, December looks horrible. I mean, they're going to have to really, you know, they're going to have to be in touch um, at that stage of the season to kind of, you know, battle their way through that if they, if that goes particularly wrong. So it's a, it's a big... Um, it's a big, big challenge, of course it is. But the one thing for West Brom, if they treat it like they have done against Chelsea, against Tottenham, against Man United, against Man City, it's just a bit of a free hit. The regret will be that they didn't go and, you know, perform in such a way against Fulham when they were atrocious and they went to Craven Cottage and were beaten. And, you know, they didn't they didn't see Ful- uh, Burnley off at the Hawthorns. So those games, you know, are, are more frustrating than, uh, and they're made more frustrating by the fact that Albion do turn up or seemingly have turned up against the, the better sides in the Premier League this season. Yeah, certainly. Good point you make there. Just before we go, just wondered if the sort of couple of players that should sort of keep an eye out for the, the danger men, as it were, within the West Brom side. Well, Pereira has been a joy to watch, really, uh, throughout. You know, he's he's somebody that was a shining light in the Championship last season, not just at the Hawthorns, but generally speaking. He was somebody that was really, really a, a wonderful player to watch. And um, crucially, he underlined that with the substance as well. It wasn't just, you know, um, pretty passes and, and, you know, kind of flair and tricks. It it was uh, goals and assists. You know, I think he got something like 16 assists last season, which is a phenomenal effort. And yeah, you know, like every other player in in the West Brom team currently, he is still finding his feet a little bit, I think, you know. He scored that amazing free kick at Goodison Park and he set up one or two game uh, assisting games since then. Played really, really well against Chelsea and against Sheffield United in their only win. So he's back from a three-match ban on on Sunday, uh, which will be a welcome arrival. Certainly it'll be the first time Allardyce gets to see him in the flesh. So he'll learn a bit about him. Uh, I think ultimately, other than that, the only other player that really has had a big, big impact in an attacking sense in recent weeks would be Conor Gallagher, who they signed on loan from Chelsea in the summer. We saw him a few times last season for Charlton and Swansea against Albion. And I always like the look of him. 
Um, and obviously Billich did as well because he picked the phone up and called Frank Lampard, his old his old mate, and, and said, "Can we borrow him this season? We'll give him a Premier League, you know, a loan spell. We'll get we'll get 30, 35 games into him." And he's been brilliant. He's been totally he's somebody that fans you could tell if there were fans in the stadium now that they'd absolutely adore him because he, despite the fact he's a loanee, he's a young lad making his way in the game. It's as new to him as everybody else. He's so committed and and and. You know, he's absolutely relentless with his energy levels. On top of that as well, he's added a couple of goals to his game, which has been really, really handy in recent weeks as well. So, you know, he's certainly one to watch. He can kind of break from deep. He's a very, very box-to-box player. I do think he's got a future at Chelsea as well, because, I mean, you look at the players they've got in their midfield, the the young lads like Mason Mount, and and they've got Billy Gilmore there as well. I I do see kind of Gallagher kind of following in their footsteps in terms of having a having a, a, a part to play in the first-team picture at Chelsea. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he goes. Well, that wraps us up for this edition of Behind Enemy Lines. Joe, I won't ask you for a prediction. No one ever wins with those, <laughs> but thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Cheers, brilliant stuff. Joe Chapman there from the Birmingham Mail here with us on Behind Enemy Lines. Don't forget to join us after the game for the post-game podcast as well as the debrief live over on the Blood Red YouTube channel. But from myself, Guy Clark and Joe Chapman, thanks for joining us here on the Blood Red channel. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel.